God is raising up a new generation that will be able to handle in a very unique way the challenges that we will face in the future. Where past generations cannot handle the issues that we're facing, God is preparing a new generation that will be well-equipped to handle what is coming down the road. Well, as we think about the next year, I just need to remind you that I will be on a sabbatical starting January 1st. I've mentioned this back in November. I've sent out an email, but I just want to make sure as a body we understand where everything is going. And some people say, well, now what is a sabbatical? Well, here is what a sabbatical is. A sabbatical is an extended time of physical rest, right? Just a time to to pull back and physically rest. It's a time of recreation. It's a time of intellectual stimulation. And it's a time for spiritual renewal. So people have said, oh, it's nice to get a nice long vacation. Actually, it is a little bit of a break that way, but it's way more than what we tend to think of as a vacation. It's this break for spiritual renewal apart from all the routine and emergency duties in order for myself and Kathy to be renewed, refreshed, and for our souls to be restored towards a healthy, vibrant, continued ministry. And Kathy and I, we're excited about the future. We're excited, as we hear Pastor Brad mention, light for the future. That's all about the future of Fox Valley Church. And we are so excited about that. And we want to be ready to lead into that. But then the question comes, well, that sounds nice. That's what a sabbatical is. What exactly are you going to be doing? Well, let me give you a couple things that Kathy and I will be doing. First of all, we want to establish some new rhythms of prayer and Bible reading. All of us get into paths. We get sometimes into ruts. And so what we want to do is break into some new rhythms of some prayer time and Bible reading. And we want to see even greater times of silence and solitude. So some of this will be spent uh, in the mountains. Some of it will be spent alone. Some of it will be spent with friends as we look at the future. Secondly, I want to also dive deep into a couple areas that I haven't had time to read in and think about. And so there will be, as I've given to the elders already, a list of books that I'll be studying and things that I want to be thinking through. Thirdly, is it's time to connect with some other pastors and other leaders in our denomination and outside our denomination. So I'll be connecting. I gave the elders a list of certain pastors and their spouses that Kathy and I want to connect with in the uh, coming weeks and months. And then finally, we'll be getting some time of counseling and uh, spiritual renewal, right? So there's just some things that we need people to speak into our lives. And we're looking forward to that as we'll take a week or seven or eight days uh, at this retreat center and some spiritual counselors speaking into us as well. And then just recreation and fun, right? You sometimes lose that as you get into the grind of ministry. And so to have that rekindled, just recreation and fun with Uh, my spouse of 38 years and looking forward to what God wants to do down the road. So that's what we're doing starting January 1. It'll take us through the end of March and I'll bring us back into the series as we get into the Easter season with Palm Sunday and then of course Easter Sunday. I want you to be assured we have some great preachers coming 
couple of them will be here. Some of them are staff. And uh, so we're in good hands and the elders are leading the charge on this as well. If you ever have questions, always feel free to reach out to the elders. I just want you to know, Kathy and I are very, very grateful for the opportunities you've given us. We just so appreciate that you care and love us enough to say, yes, we want a spiritually vibrant pastor and his wife and someone that is emotionally and spiritually healthy. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, this morning as we get into the, the Word, I just want to bring us back into the Christmas series. Now, you need to remember that Genesis 1-1, the very first verse, all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21, the very last verse of the New Testament, it's one continuous story. And what God is doing is moving history in ways that He has decided it will go. And nobody will thwart it. Nobody will get it off track. And we see, though, in the story, now and then, there's these moments, just big moments, and I've used the phrase kairos moments. Bible talks about two kinds of time, chronos time, thinking of chronology moment by moment by moment, or Kairos time, and that's where there's this big splash where God says, I'm doing something significant that's advancing my plan in human history. So we can think of things like uh, the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 and Je- uh, Genesis chapter 12. We, we see God moving in Abraham's life that sets up him to be the father of this great nation, Israel. Or you could read something that's a little smaller and and, and less maybe what we would call significant. But remember, one of the patriarchs, Jacob, is wrestling with an angel. And that becomes a Kairos moment because it's there that Jacob gets his name changed from Jacob to Israel. And of course, he becomes the father of this great nation, right, with his sons. So we think of this, or, or you jump into the book of Exodus, the very next book, right? Genesis, then Exodus, and you got Moses. And Moses is called by God to lead his people out of Egypt, out of bondage. That's a Kairos moment. There's a moment in the history of the world where God says, I'm going to set my free, my people free. And that becomes part of the story. And it's something that we all look back towards. It's something that we look back and say, what a momentous time in history as God took roughly one and a half to two million people out of Egypt, out of bondage, and set them free and then brought them into the promised land. I mean, there is a Kairos moment. So you can see we're not talking about a 60-second moment. We're talking about, in this case, it was several years as he let them out put them in the wilderness, and then eventually leads them into the promised land under Joshua. And we could go through the Old Testament and see these. What we are doing in the Christmas series that is very unique is I don't think anybody would deny that Christmas, the birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ, the King of Israel, is a Kairos moment. What we were interested to do in this series that puts a unique slant on it is some people miss the Kairos moment. We all see some of the same things, but we miss spiritually 
what God is doing. This series is about looking through the eyes of what specific people said that were living in the midst of it. Now, I want to make a little distinction here, right? You have Matthew and Luke. Those are the only places where you find the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke where you get a little bit of the birth story. And of course, they're writing the whole biography of Jesus, right? That's what the four Gospels are doing. But what we wanted to do then was drill down, look at the specific people in the story, say, Matthew wrote, or the story Luke wrote, and look at how the people saw their Kairos moment. I personally think that you and I are living in one of the turning points of world history. If you have eyes to see, if you have eyes to see what God is doing, we are making history this generation. It's crazy to think about what God is doing today. Let me just give you one example. Millions, tens of millions of people are coming to Christ. It is crazy. The outpouring of God's Spirit and people from every nation, I mean ethnic groups, are just swarming to the King Jesus. And it is so, so exciting. I was with a friend this week who's been serving in Africa, and he's just talking about the numbers of people that are coming to King Jesus all over Africa. And it's just a beautiful story. You can see this in Central and South America. You can see it all through Asia. God is doing something so unique. And like it says in Chronicles, the men of Issachar, they understood the times. Do you and I understand the times? So we've been looking at the people, looking at Mary. She said, as she looked at this Kairos moment of her son being born, she said, this is God pouring out his mercy on his people. That God was pouring out his help. That he was going to bring help to his people. Then we looked at Zechariah and trying to bring it down to all that Zechariah said. But the key point that Zechariah was saying was that God wanted to send a deliverer. He wanted us to be out of the bondage, not only of our enemies physically, but spiritually out of the bondage of sin. And so Zechariah gives us his very keen insight into deliverance. Well then, last week, and I want to say thank you for uh, being such a warm host to my son. Last week, my son brought out Simeon. And he talked about the main focus that Simeon had was hope. And that we need hope. Christmas is a time when we look at hope. Well, this morning... We're going to look at a very unlikely source for our Christmas insight. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm just going to read a few verses. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Matthew wrote this. He said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod 
heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Father, thanks for this moment. Thanks as we study your word that you spoke into history 2,000 years ago. You made such a splash. So many people missed it. God, don't let us miss it. Don't let us see that even today, the things that you are doing are astounding, if not astonishing. God, the miracles, the wonder, the power of your invasion into this world, changing hearts and minds of people all over the world. God, help us see as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, this morning I have two simple points I want to make. And here's the first one, is that Christmas forces important questions. Now, again, I use the word Christmas in quotes because I'm not talking about December 25th. I'm I'm talking about a frame of mind. I'm talking about a mindset of this first Christmas and that it forces some really important questions. But before I get to the questions that get drawn out, let's look a little closer into the passage. Of course, it begins in verse 1 here. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And any Jew reading this, this gospel, the gospel of Matthew, would say, Bethlehem, that's the city of David, right? That's where David was born. That's where David was anointed. And it becomes significant because Jesus, King Jesus, is in the same dynasty. He's in the same family line as King David. And so sometimes he's called a son of David because he is in line with the kingship of that, of that great king. So as we think about Israel, right? They were promised kings all the way back into Genesis that God was going to raise up kings. Then out of the kings, God was going to raise up one king. And of course, we get to King David thousand years before Christ, right? He's the pinnacle of these kings. But there was another king promised. There was another one that was going to come. And that's where the story takes us a little deeper. So we've got Bethlehem. Then we got some people brought in. We certainly have Jesus, right? The main part of the story. But we've got Herod. Talk about Herod in just a moment. But we got these magi. Like, who are these magi? Well, people don't really know who they are, right? The scholars study it. History has kind of written a number of books on on them. Are they from Arabia? Are they from Persia, which would be modern-day Iran? Or are they Babylonians? Are they from modern-day Iraq? And there's different arguments for different reasons of where these magi came from. They weren't kings. You know, we three kings, right? They they weren't kings, but they probably were, were priests. Now, they were Gentiles. They were Gentile priests, and that's what puts a little bit of a twist on it. But I use the word priest because if I use the word astrologers today... That has a lot of negative connotations. Certainly, they studied the stars. Certainly, they were people that were studying holy writings. I tend to lean that these 
magi were from Babylon. They were from modern-day Iraq. Now, why do I go there? Because there was a large Jewish settlement in Babylon. And if the Magi were studying holy book writings, they were studying the Old Testament and were given a little bit of a hint right here in our passage that the Magi were studying the Old Testament. Specifically, we see Numbers chapter 24. Look what it says. It says, a star, a star when it arose had uh, we saw his star when it arose. Now, he's, that's coming out of Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says this, A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. Now, think about when that was written. That was written by the greatest prophet before Jesus, because Jesus is the greatest prophet, Moses. So Moses writes this. Now, this is in the context. I don't have time to do the whole story, but it's a phenomenal story. You have this prophet who was kind of a wicked prophet. He was a prophet that could hear from God, but he was a prophet that wasn't really committed to God's work. Figure that one out. That's Balaam. That's the one who gave the prophecy we're looking at now. So Balaam is a prophet because he can hear from God. He gets hired out by King Balak. King Balak is the king of Moab. This is all found in Numbers chapter 22 to 24. But you get the story, and Balak wants to hire the prophet Balaam to curse Israel. Now he can hear from God, and God says, hey, don't curse my people. I love my people. Don't put a curse on them. So Balaam never does put a curse on him. But what that does is ticks off Balak, King Balak of Moab, because he was working against the people of Israel because they were moving through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And the stories were getting out. People heard stories. Did you hear how they got through the Red Sea? And the story would be told over and over. And this nation called Israel was growing and it was powerful. And King Balak didn't want them coming through his territory to get into the promised land. He had heard what they were doing. So Balak says, hey, Balaam, would you curse my people? Of course he won't. Well, in that section of Scripture, Balaam, the prophet, then gives three prophecies for Israel. But it was a fourth prophecy that becomes so significant. It's the one that's on the screen right now. Balaam, this wicked prophet who is out for hire, who still could hear from God, he says this, a star will come out of Jacob. Well, now... Who's he talking about? King David was still 400 years away. So what I think as you read prophecy, you've got to read recognizing that there's events that are unfolding and the story is getting fuller and fuller. And so maybe Balaam could only see as far as King David, but what Moses saw was even further than King David because he said there will be this 
one, the star that would come out of Jacob, a star will rise out of Israel. And this one, and Moses could probably see way further than Balaam, that God was doing something phenomenal. Well, Matthew records this as coming through the Magi because the Magi saw that this now was not a King David. He had already been off the scene for a thousand years. But the new king, the new king was coming. And that's what we're reading about here. And that's what gets it so exciting is these Gentile, we'll call them priests, but these Gentile wise men looking at the stars, studying the holy scriptures of the Old Testament, God started moving them to say, now is the time. Or as Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. And so this is the, the story that's unfolding. But now why am I not wanting to so focus on this? Because they're not our unlikely source. They haven't really said too much. What I'm interested in is the unlikely source. And that's where we get to the phrase in verse 2, or verse 4, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They say something so profound, something so significant, that advances the Christmas story. Now, the chief priests, who are they? The chief priests are people, men, that were the, that year's high priest, previous high priests, and then other priestly leaders. Then we have, it says, teachers of the law. Some of you might have a translation that says scribes. These were the people, the men that were studying the Scriptures, digging down deep into the Scriptures, and would explain everything. Except, if you read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, even if you read Luke, if you read Mark, you read John, these leaders, these spiritual leaders, are blind. They can't really see the Kairos moment. Here Jesus Christ, the King, is living among them, and they missed it. Just ask yourself, are you missing it? Are you missing the real drive of Christmas? And if you're seeing it, ask yourself this, do others in your family see it? Are they understanding the power of the moment of the birth of the King Jesus? Are your neighbors, are your co-workers, are your friends? Are they understanding the whole thing about Christmas? So what we see is that the chief priests and teachers of the law, they say some things, but they really end up not believing this is a Kairos moment, and they missed it. Oh, there were a couple like Nicodemus that saw it. Majority of them missed it. But let me go back. I said Christmas forces some important questions. What questions am I talking about? Where do we go when life is hard and confusing? Where do we go? All of us have troubles in our life. Is there anyone here that does not have some trouble? I'm not saying all of us have huge troubles, but all of us have some troubles. Where do you go in the midst of times like this? What do you do with them? Or here's another question. 
what hope do we really have now? When you think about life right today, and you think of the troubles that you're in, what hope do you have that you're not only going to get through your troubles, but you're going to get way beyond your troubles? What hope do you really have? Christmas forces these kinds of questions. Here's a third question I wrote down. What do I do with my past junk? (laughs) What do I do with it? I wish, and I'm sure you do too, you just had a delete button. I don't mean a do-over button. We all want one of those too. But a delete button a delete. Just let's get rid of the junk of the past. I don't think I need to define that. I don't think I need to say a lot about that. It's that stuff you don't talk about. It's that stuff that maybe your spouse doesn't even know about. Your children don't know about it. Your grandchildren don't know about it. Your friends may not even know about it. Maybe a counselor has been told. What do you do with that junk? We're going to find is Christmas forces these questions, but secondly, Christmas affirms the right answers. That's my second point. Christmas affirms the right answers. It's in the Christmas story that we're going to read in the next second here that affirms the very right answers, and it comes out of verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 again. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. So again, the Messiah, the Christ, the King was going to come through Judah. But look out the next phrase there. But out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This is coming out of the mouths of the unlikely source. The people, the religious leaders that would ultimately reject the Messiah, the King, the one that God promised. Now, you and I do this too sometimes. When you are asked a question and you really don't know what to say, sometimes you just quote someone else. You just quip with a phrase. Here's one that I use a lot. I don't know why, I just picked it up when I get so like, what do you say? You know, you get into these political discussions. I say, well, some of my friends are for this issue and some of my friends are against this issue and I'm for my friends. (laughs) right you you got friends on both sides of the issue I'm not going to take a stand on the issue but I'm for my friends right It, it just gets you off the horns of the dilemma well the religious leaders they're on the horns of a dilemma some of them we know clearly did not believe about the promised messiah they they just weren't going there they had can I just say it this way they had no expectation The Pharisees, by and large, as a religious group, didn't think now was the time. It was really a group that we don't know a whole lot about through the New Testament, but they are there, are the Essenes. Maybe John the Baptist came out of the Essenes. But there was a group of people that believed the Messiah was coming, and now was the time. So, Out of you will come a ruler, a shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Because we've already been given 
the idea that a king was coming. That's what we see up in verse 2. Then we see the idea of a Messiah in verse 4. Well, Messiah in the Old Testament is, is anointed one. In the New Testament, it gets translated the Christ. Sometimes it gets translated the Christ. And what they mean by that is king. So they're talking about the same person. Whether you call him a king or whether you use the word Messiah or whether you use the Greek Christ, it is all talking about king. And so God is going to send a ruler. But then look at that last phrase in the last part of the verse, who will shepherd my people. We need a shepherd in times of trouble, don't we? We need a shepherd who's alive and can walk us through these different things. So, as we look at the story, we look at the magi who are these Gentiles, we want to ask or say three things. Here's the first one. We need to know where he is. The Magi knew where he was because of the star. We need to know where he is so we can find him. They knew he was in Bethlehem. Do you know where he is today? Do you know where you can find Jesus today? In the Scriptures. There's an accurate account Moved by the Spirit, the Word becomes alive and points us to the whole point of the story of Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It all points to Jesus Christ. We need to know where to find Him. No differently than the Magi knew where to find Him. People in our culture need to know where to find Him. Here's a second. We need to know who He is. We need to know who He is so we can know Him. You just can't know about Him, but the Magi understood something, that He was the King of Israel, that He was going to be born King. He didn't become King like David became King. Jesus was born King. You need to know who He is. You need to know that He is the sovereign one over everything and everyone. There's no one like this King. Oh, we have great presidents through our own history. There's great leaders that have led through the world, but there is no leader like Jesus, the King, the sovereign ruler over all. You need to know who He is. You need to know that He's in control. You need to know that He's wise. You need to know that He's powerful and that He can do what He says He's going to do. That's the King we're talking about here. You need to know who He is. But let me hit the third. We need to know what He is so we can understand Him. When I say what He is, I mean that He is the God-man. Fully God and fully man. It's one of the great mysteries and greatest miracles in this world that God would become man. That God would come and live among us. If God was going to give us the things that we have talked about through this series, it would take a God-man. Let me say, through Mary, 
We said Mary focused on mercy. A couple times in her song, she sang about mercy. We need mercy from someone who can see down the road, who can help us what's around the bend, where our troubles are taking us and why they're there. That's what we need. We don't need just a wise person, but we need someone who is infinitely wise, someone who knows everything. We need someone... Zechariah talked about a deliverer, someone who could deliver us not only from our enemies over all of them, but the great enemy of the devil and could conquer the devil. Of course, Jesus Christ conquered the works of the devil at the cross, defeated him, and then the enemy of sin. Who can satisfy a holy God? We live in a world where most people think if I'm good enough, God will let me into heaven. Poll after poll shows that's what Americans believe. If I'm good enough, I'll get to heaven. And Jesus says, no. If it was good people getting to heaven, we don't need a Savior. We just need to be good. What the Bible is telling us is we'll never be good enough compared to a holy God. And it was this God-man who could go to the cross, die, and pay the penalty of our sins because he was God, satisfy a holy God. We need to know what this God is. And that's, he's no ordinary human being. So as I close this morning and give again a sentence of why we need Christmas, we need Christmas because we need a king who will shepherd us to victory. We need a king who cannot just get us through the troubles, but we need a king who can get us all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21. We need a king who will get us from here and all the troubles, pain and confusion, all the way to the promised land. We need a king who can get us out of bondage and get us home with him. And there's only one that can do that, and that is King Jesus. He's the ruler. He was the one promised. That's who the religious leaders were talking about, even though they didn't understand. But the question is, do we? And will we trust him? That's where I want to leave us today. Will you put your trust in him as the ruler, as the shepherd, who can lead us to victory? Some of us, all we see is our problems. Some of us, all we see are troubles. Some of us, all we see is the mountain. But Jesus sees on the other side. And he's the only one that can lead us to victory. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you saw way more than we could ever see and know. You gave it to your prophets and they spilled it out on the pages of Scripture. But God, let us be men and women and students here today that put our trust in you and believe you for these great things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.